I do appreciate all those who participated in the flag ceremony this morning. Thank you guys for that and for the pianist as well. But as Pastor Tim mentioned, it is our privilege and honor to have our state representative for the 93rd District, Tom Leonard and his wife Janelle, uh, here with us this morning. And uh, Tom not only is a good friend uh, of uh, those of us here, but he also uh, is, a, is a man who loves his country and serves his country by being in government and leadership. And more importantly, he is a man who is very faithful and a very faithful brother in Christ. And that's why we want him to share with us this morning. So Tom, won't you come and share with us? That happens. Thank you. Are we on? Okay, I've never used one of these things before, so it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting, but uh, just thank you all so much for having uh, Janelle and I here today. I cannot tell you uh, what a blessing and an honor it is to serve all of you in the House of Representatives, and something I thank the Lord for every single day when I walk on that floor, every time I have my coffee hours, and I know many of you have been there before, and get to meet, and, and our office gets to help some amazing people. It's just a been an amazing experience and I think it it seems like it was just yesterday that many of you I was coming to your doors and I can't believe I'm already about a year past my expiration date um, we've got uh, as you know we serve we can serve six years in the house and uh, I, I hit that midpoint uh, this January so Lord willing we have just a couple more years to go but uh, just a very quick update uh, on Janelle and I before we get in uh, to the message uh, after the last election, uh, my caucus, I was humbled and honored. They had elected me to be the speaker pro tem uh, for the House, which is the person that serves directly uh, behind the speaker. And then shortly after that, as many of you know, Janelle was working as the external affairs director for the lieutenant governor, Brian Kelly, who's a friend to many of us uh, in this room. And she had been approached by somebody to take over the Michigan Film Office and was appointed to be the Michigan Film Director. And about four days after she was appointed, I voted to eliminate her $50 million program. <laughs> so <laughs> it's been uh, a lot of fun in our household. But uh, one thing, and uh, we've been much more public about this uh, as, as uh, recently, but uh, her and I had struggled for about four or five years to actually have children. And uh, we were actually told a couple years ago that we would never be able to have kids. And the last year, in 2015, as well, uh, in addition to the legislative efforts that I was doing and what she was doing in the, uh, uh, for the film office, we were spending a lot of time, we had actually started the adoption process. About a year from now, we were going to go over to China, and we were going to adopt a child from there. And then uh, a few months ago, we found out that uh, we are pregnant with our, with our first child. And... Um, And to show you the Lord's sense of humor, the child is due on September 22nd, which is right between, right smack dab between my primary election and my general election. So uh, he knows what he's doing. But uh, that is our, uh, that's the update on our family. And again, just uh, amazing that you guys do this. Uh, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, and so many people have forgotten what this weekend represents what Memorial Day represents. For so many, and I'm going to be, I'll be the first to admit, for years growing up and, and even as a young adult, this was a three, if not four-day weekend to go up north and to have hot dogs or to go to a whatever. We never really took in what this weekend really represents. 
until I had the opportunity to truly witness my first Memorial Day ceremony a few years ago. And on Thursday afternoon on the House floor, one of my colleagues, Representative Ray Franz, gave a, a speech. And I asked him to borrow parts of it. And I'm going to go through this just briefly, but this really shows what Memorial Day is about. In the American Revolution, our country lost 25,000 soldiers. That would be the equivalence of losing 2 million today. In the War of 1812, we lost 15,000. In the Mexican-American War, over 13,000. In the Civil War, the greatest war we've ever had with the most losses, the war to keep our country and our nation together, but most importantly and tragically to erase our original sin, we lost 750,000. The Spanish-American War, over 2,000. World War I, the war that was supposed to be the war to end all wars, we lost 116,000 as a country. 20 years later, we lost 405,000 of the greatest generation. In the Korean War, the first war that we had to stop the spread of communism, we lost over 36,000. The Vietnam War, a war that we never lost one battle, but lost because of the politicians at home, over 58,000 lost. In the Gulf War, 294. In Afghanistan, over 2,000. In Iraq, nearly 4,500. And in Operation Inherent Resolve, which is currently ongoing, we have lost nine. In over 78 conflicts in our history, our country has lost 1.3 million, over 1.3 million brave men and women. My friends, that is what Memorial Day is about. As Zell Miller once famously quoted, never in the history of the world has any soldier sacrificed more for the freedom and liberty of total strangers than the American soldier has. And our soldiers don't just give the freedom abroad, they protect it here at home. For it has been said so truthfully that it is the soldier, not the reporter, who has given us the freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the poet, who has given us the freedom of speech. It is the soldier, not the agitator, who has given us the freedom to protest. It is the soldier who salutes the flag, serves beneath the flag, whose coffin is draped by the flag, and who gives the protester the freedom to abuse and burn that flag. And that is what Memorial Day is about. If there is anybody here, and I know we've got some and probably several that has ever served in our United States military or serves now, would you please stand? And this morning, and thank you all for your service. And this morning when I was thinking about what to, or praying about what to, uh, what to speak on, you know, it really hit me whether or not many of those one point, over 1.3 million citizens who have bravely lost their lives, if many of them, if you could bring them back here today, if they would recognize our country and some of the things that are going on. The more than 50 million children who have been lost to abortion since 1970, between seven and 800,000 per year. Politicians in D.C. and many in Lansing trying to force 
young boys and girls in elementary schools to use the same restroom and teenagers to shower together. God has been nearly completely erased from our public sector. And one staggering statistic that I saw this morning, the millennial generation, which is the generation just below me, who are now our largest workforce, only one-third of those individuals in a recent survey actually identified and said that they even discuss religion on a weekly basis. Didn't say whether or not they're Christians, Hindu, Muslim, didn't say what, but only one-third even identify even saying they discuss religion. And that's the direction that our country is headed. But fortunately for us who have a hope, for us, who, for us who worship the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we know that our warfare is not carnal, but rather spiritual. And as Paul said, and I'm reading from the King James Version, so that might be a little off than, than from some of your, your Bibles, but uh, in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, Paul says here, Finally, my brethren... He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, in his charges to us as Christians, take on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand the e in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all fiery darts of the wicked, and take on the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So we see here, as Paul has taught us in, in, in some of these scriptures that many of us know so well, thankfully, and praise God, our battle is spiritual. It's not carnal. It's not the flesh. It's spiritual. And one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, in Colossians 3, And here next to these two scriptures, I actually have, uh, not only are the underline, but I've got a big circle and next to it with an exclamation point. I don't even know when I wrote this, but I've got for me. Because this is so important. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, sitteth on the right hand of God. And he says in verse 2, set your affection. And the Lord, when he put together this Bible, he knew what he was doing. Every single word, every single letter perfectly placed. He doesn't say, set your affections. He says, set your affection. Our one affection. And that is serving our Lord. On all things above, not on things on the earth. 
I was asking myself, how in the world do you go, you know, there's not a, a, a ton of scriptures that really relate to Memorial Day. And how in the world do you tie spiritual into, into Memorial Day? And as I said, we've got so many brave men and women who have given their lives for our country. But today, I want us to not only remember them, because we know that our battle and our war is spiritual, and it's not fleshly, it's not physical, I want us to all remember those spiritual soldiers as well. I will guarantee you, almost every one of you in this room was led to Christ through some person. Whether that be a family member, whether it be a friend, whether it be on a missions trip. And so many great soldiers we have had currently and those that have, uh, have been before us and I would like to tell you, I would like to share the story about how I, and I don't, I don't share this story very often. Uh, Janelle could attest to this. And probably because I'm not a real emotional person. I don't tear up very often. And I don't say that with pride. For some reason, I just, I, I don't. I don't know why. And I've probably teared up probably 12 times in the last 10, 15 years. One was when she walked down the aisle, and I think every other time was when I shared this story. <laughs> so, but I want to tell the story about how I personally was led to Christ. And I'm going to give you the, the story of my grandmother. Her name was Patsy. And I'm going to tell you right now, full disclosure, she would be so upset with me right now if she knew I was sharing this story. And not because... She was prideful, not because she was one that got embarrassed, but she was one that wanted only one person and one person only lifted up, and that was Jesus Christ. She did not want her name mentioned anywhere when it came to spiritual things. She wanted to lift up Jesus. So as I tell you this story, and I've told you her name, I tell you this not to lift up my grandmother or anything that happened in my life, but to lift up Jesus. And I want you to see and understand the miracle that at least happened in my life. And I grew up not in a Christian home. Uh, Mom and dad would get the itching to go to church probably every five or six months. And my brother and I would be so, oh man, we don't want to go to church on a Sunday. And we were always hoping that mom and dad would pick one that would be really boring. We, we'd bounce all over, whether or not it was Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, it didn't matter. We were always hoping it would be really, really boring because dad wouldn't want to go back next week and then we'd probably get a year relief of not having to go back to church. We really liked the Baptist church when we went because they had the basketball court and we got to play basketball afterwards. That was my upbringing. And it was a good upbringing. Uh, parents were good to me. I was always well provided for uh, Never had any, uh, any problems, but it simply was not a spiritual home. And my grandmother and my grandfather in the mid-80s, so I'd have been about five or six years old at the time, they actually, they found Christ. And that was really the only, I guess, spiritual mentoring or ministering to I got when I would go to see grandma and grandpa, particularly grandma. And... Fast forward to my senior year of high school. So this would have been 1999. Grandma had battled cancer since the early 80s. First, it was breast cancer, and one breast had to be removed. 
six, seven years later, the other one was attacked. And in the mid-90s, she had some type of intestinal cancer and she had to have part of her intestines removed. But every time, she always bounced back. And Grandma was the most selfless person you'd ever meet. The only person I know that when she was in the hospital and she had an IV drip and she was receiving her chemotherapy, she spent the entire time on the phone calling people in her church who may have had a cold or may have had the flu, letting them know, I'm praying for you today. Fast forward to my freshman year of college. It was September or October. Unfortunately, one of her, or both of her kidneys had failed. A doctor had misdiagnosed her, thought it was a backache, and her kidneys had failed, so she was on dialysis. And if anybody knows anybody, or if you've ever been on dialysis, it's not, it's not fun. And she had to be um, on dialysis two, three times a week. Well, just before that had happened, it was, it was my senior year, just before I graduated high school, it was probably March, April of 99, Grandma had come, called me randomly out of the blue one day, and she was always pushing me, wanting me to come to church. But one day she said, hey, I want you to come to our Thursday night Bible study. Would you please come? And it would mean the world to me if you would please come with your, your granddaddy and I. And I said, okay. And I wasn't doing it for any spiritual reason. I was only doing it because I loved the woman so much, and I was her number one grandchild, and I did not want to disappoint her. So I went to this little Bible study that she had, and it was, it, was, it was good, it was fun, it was nice. Nothing pricked me, nothing got me in, in my heart. Got home and I thought, Grandma's going to forget about me, I, I've appeased her. Sure enough, the next week she calls again, wants me to go. And this happens three, four, five consecutive weeks. But then she takes it to an extreme. She now wants me to start going on Sundays with her. And she wants me to get up early and go with her and Grandpa to Hardee's to get all-you-can-eat biscuits and gravy for $1.99, but it starts at like 8 o'clock in the morning because their church starts early. Senior in high school, I've got all these things going on. I don't want to get up in the morning and go to church. But I continued to go, and again, it was for always the wrong reasons. It was never spiritual. It was never to serve the Lord. It was always to please her. Well, fast forward to shortly after she had, her kidneys had failed, and she was in pretty good health, other than the fact that she had to be on dialysis. And the small church that Janelle and I attend, it was the same church that Grandma and Grandpa attended, very into missions work. And every two or three years, our pastor would go to one of the countries that we had missions work going on, whether it be South Africa, Malawi, Mozambique, Kenya, India, And he would go over there just to make certain that everything was going well, everything was going smoothly, because we were sending a lot of money, putting a lot of time, a lot of effort. And you've got to remember, this was a pre-9-11 world. It was 1999. Our pastor bought two tickets for the trip he was going to go on. I think it was February or March in 2000. But because this was a pre-9-11 world, you didn't have to put your name on both the tickets. You actually had like a 60-day window where you could put somebody's name on the ticket and it passed security and everything was fine. Our church had nobody to go with our pastor. Nobody. Everybody was tied up. Everybody was working. Nobody could go and this ticket had been purchased. 
December 21st, I take my last exam, my first semester of college. And as I said, grandma was on dialysis, and I'd always stop in to check on her. And I come in, it was, I can't remember if it was on a Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember the day of the week, but I do know it was December 21st. I come in, and my grandfather had her on the couch. And he was sitting there, and he was ministering to her. And it was bold. I've never seen anything like it. And in fact, I thought he was a jerk. My grandfather is one of those, if the Lord puts something on his heart, He's doing it. It doesn't matter who he offends. The Lord had put on his heart that morning, you're putting your name on that ticket. And you're headed to South Africa with Pastor Larry in February. Imagine how that sat with his 64, 65-year-old wife who needed to be driven to the hospital for dialysis three times a week. And he was the only one she had. And he continued to minister to her for, it was a long time. I sat there and never seemed like it. It was a good couple hours. But continued to tell her, Patsy, I know everything's going to be fine. I know the Lord is going to heal you. There is no way he would put on my heart to put my name on this ticket if he was not going to heal you. And she's just sitting there, and she's perplexed, and she's beside herself. And I I could see the fear in her eyes. Here is my husband. Here's the person that I wed 40-whatever-odd years ago who promised to take care of me under any circumstance, and he's telling me he's getting ready to travel halfway across the world when I've got to have my dialysis three times a week. He took her up to bed that night, and uh, I kind of lit into him. I told him he was a jerk. Again, you got to remember, I was seeing things through the, the physical lens. I, I was not spiritual. I was not born again. I was not a Christian. I just saw this guy who I had all this respect for who had told his wife he was so selfish he was going to jump on a plane and go halfway across the world and leave her here when she was sick and she needed help. That's what I saw. And he told me, he said, son, he said, I hope one day you get to a place where the Lord can speak to you and put things on your heart the way he has me. He says, I'm telling you, he said, the whole family's probably going to think I'm bad, but this is something I know I have to do. Before I left, I went up to the bedroom to talk to my grandma and had the best conversation we probably ever had in my life. We were there for about an hour. And she told me how proud she was of me, how... She was so happy that I'd been coming to church. She knew I wasn't born again. She knew I had not accepted the Lord as my Savior and told me repeatedly, "Hun, I know you've got a good heart. I hope one day you can get there. And I made it clear to her. I said, Grandma, I'm not one that plays games. If I do something, I'm going all in. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to claim to be something that I'm not. I'm not going to defame the name of Jesus. I'm not going to go around with one of those shirts, what would Jesus do, or one of those bracelets when I'm living like the devil. I said, I'm simply not going to do that. And she said, I know. And she said, I pray for you every day and I pray that you'll get there. We finished our conversation as I started to walk out of the room. There was this white, what I would call like a throw blanket or a throw towel that was sat on a chair next to her bed. And she would lay on that every night because when my grandfather had to get her up to use the restroom in the middle of the night, it was easy to grab that and pull her up without hurting her or anything of that sort. And he forgot to put that under her when she went to bed that night. 
And I noticed that. And I looked back as I was walking out and I said, Grandma, I said, I said, uh, Grandpa forgot to put your blanket under you. And she said, no, he didn't. And I said, yeah, he did. And she said, do you think, hon, you could try to get that blanket under me? I said, yeah, I think I can. And reached around, I grabbed it, tried to put it under her to no avail. It was just, she was just, it was too heavy to move her by myself and it just simply wasn't going to happen. She goes, it's okay. She said, I'll be fine. Don't worry about it. She said, I'll be okay. And I said, you sure? She said, yeah. So I started to walk out and she got the door open at this point and I got one foot out the door and she says, hon, could you come back and try that again? I think I'm going to need that blanket. I said, yeah, Grandma, I'll try it again. So I came back, tried a couple minutes more to no avail, simply didn't, couldn't get it under and she said, "Honey, it's okay. I'm going to be fine. I won't need it. We'll be okay. A third time. Now, at this point, I'm almost out the door. The door is just about shut. And I hear her go, "Hun," I said, yeah. And she goes, could you come try that one more time? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come try it one more time. I picked it up and I walked up. I didn't know what this meant at the time. But I found out. She had no interest in me putting that towel or that blanket under her. I walked up. She grabbed me. She grabbed both hands. She put them together. She looked me in the eyes and she said, Hun, I'm going to tell you something right now. We're not going to need that blanket anymore. Grandma's going to be okay. I said, okay. Gave her a kiss on the forehead and I walked out. Next morning, my grandfather calls my dad. I said, Larry, I need you to get, and we just lived down the road. He said, I need you guys to get down here. He said, we got some problems. He said, what's that? He said, your mama has been up all night long praying for every single person that she knows, people in the church, people in the family. He said, Larry, that's my dad's name is Larry. He said, Larry, you guys got to come down here. He said, because I need you to tell her she's got to get some rest. She's got to go get her dialysis done. This is not good for her. She's got to get some rest. And my dad said, sure. So he called, even though he didn't go to the church, he called our, the pastor of the church at the time to say, hey, maybe, you know, Larry, his name was Larry too, Pastor Larry, maybe you could come over and you could help her get some rest. So we come over there, and Grandpa is there, and he's just beat. His voice, barely anything there. And she had told him, every time he told her, Patsy, you got to get some sleep, lay down or go to sleep, she would tell him, shut up, I know what I'm doing, I need you to just sing. Now the poor woman, my grandpa's got to have the worst voice in the world, okay, and said, I want you to sing to me. And she continued to pray. What we didn't know is that she had prayed all night for every person she knew, except for one person. She didn't pray for my grandpa. She's on that bed and she's continuing to pray. And then you hear her start to pray for my grandfather. And she said, Lord, you're going to have to help him. He has no idea what he's prayed for. He has no idea what he's asked. And he's going to take this very, very I need you to pray for him, or I need you to, to, to help him. And she went on for about 10 minutes about how great he had been to her. 
and how the Lord was had to watch over and had to take care of him. Now, mind you, with the exception of just some dialysis, this is a woman who was healthy. There was not a lot going wrong with her. And then she continued to say, can you give me just a few more minutes? I see it. It's beautiful. But I need just a few more minutes because I've got to continue to pray for Tommy, which is my grandpa. And she went back and forth, yes, please, I see it but give me just a few more minutes while I pray for him because he is going to take this very, very tough. None of us in that room had a clue what was going on. That woman at that point was closer to her Savior than she had ever been. And my grandpa finally got up, walked over and he looked at her, he said, Patsy, he said, would you please, please get some rest? I need you to get some sleep, hon. And she looked at him and she said, wide-eyed, you really want me to get some rest, don't you? And he said, yes. He said, if you'd please get some rest. He said, you've got to get some. And she said, okay, if you want me to get some rest, I'll do that. And he reached over and he shut her eyes. And immediately that was it. He sat down in the chair next to her and he had no idea what had happened. And the other folks in the room did. He sat there, and after a few minutes, our pastor had to go over there and tell him. He said, man, I'm, my grandpa said, man, I'm so glad she's getting some rest now. I don't know, I just couldn't get her to go to sleep. She was going all night. My pastor walked over and rubbed him on the back and said, Tom, he said, she's gone. He said, what do you mean she's gone? He said, Tom, she's, she's not with us anymore. She's gone. And he said, you think so? And he said, yeah, Tom, she is. And he got up, he gave her the biggest hug, and gave her a kiss, and never complained. He turned around, he looked at my pastor, and he said, Pastor Larry, he said, the Lord promised he'd heal her if I said I'd go on that trip with you. He said, she's all better now. Call the airport and put my name on that ticket. The next phone call our pastor made was to our pastor in South Africa to let them know what had happened and that my grandpa would be coming. And Pastor Spiwo is his name, picked up the phone and Pastor Larry, when he called him, he said, hey, Pastor Spiwo, he said, um, I'm calling, I got some news for you. And he says, Pastor, he said, you don't have to share with me. He said, we know what happened. Now this is the era before internet. No emails, no texting. He said, one of the Go-Go's, Go-Go's is what they call the elderly ladies there in South Africa. He said, one of the Go-Go's just gave me a call and said she had a vision. And she saw Grandma walking with Jesus through the flowers in heaven. And we knew she had passed away. It was at that point that I knew whatever that woman had I wanted it. I had never seen anybody with so much peace. I had never seen or witnessed a miracle happen the way this had happened. And as I said, with my grandfather, not once, if he were to tell you the story, not once has he ever regretted 
praying to the Lord and telling him, heal her, I'm going to put my name on that ticket. As I said, I tell you this story not because I want to lift her up, because it's the Jesus in her. But I want us to also remember, not just those who have fallen, who have given us the ultimate, paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to enjoy these freedoms here, but remember those spiritual soldiers for Christ and continue to be one. I was going to go to an area of scripture, but for lack of time, I'm not going to, but in Matthew 25, as Jesus taught us about the talents, I believe, and and, and take a look at that if you get a chance, if you've never read it. I believe, as Jesus has taught us, much is given, much is required. I believe there is more required for this country and us sitting in this room than most anywhere in the world. Where else in the world can you go to a big boy restaurant and freely have a Bible study and not worry at all that you're going to be kicked out or arrested? We can preach freely, we can speak freely, we can have services like this. I believe that the Lord has blessed us, even though we've had problems but with the greatest country in the world, and I believe he expects much of us. I want to close with one scripture. And this was my grandmother's favorite scripture in the world. Luke 9.23. And when folks ask if there was one scripture I could take with me, sometimes you get that question, if you were locked up or if you were on a deserted island and you could only have one scripture with you, what would you take? And this was what she always harped on to me. And I think it's one of, if not my favorite as, as well, because it shows exactly in this one scripture what the Lord requires of us as Christians. And he says, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Again, I want to thank all of you for this opportunity to be here today. I cannot tell you what an honor and what a blessing it is. Continue to remember those men and women who have paid the ultimate sacrifice and given us the greatest nation in the world, one where we can be free to preach and and, and worship the way we choose. But also remember that our war is not, it's not physical, it's spiritual. And continue to remember those spiritual warriors who have died before us and all of us in this room and those that are, uh, are serving now. So with that, Thank you very much. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray real, real briefly. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you again to thank you so much for all that you've done for us. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. Thank you for this wonderful nation that we live in and, and for the brave men and women who serve us so honorably every single day. Lord, I thank you so much for brothers and sisters that I could be with, Janelle and I could be here with today. And I pray, Father, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, that no name be lifted up when we leave here today not my grandmother's, not mine, not anybody's that was mentioned. I pray, Father, that the only name that is uh, remembered and looked to when we walk out of this building today is that of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In that mighty name I pray. Amen.